0: Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we check in with Eric McCollum of TBT's 2015 Champions Overseas Elite. Remember that you can subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes, and if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Hey, Eric, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm good. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing great. Eric, I wanted to touch base with you because, uh, first off, you said something really funny in one of the press conferences. I don't know if you meant it to be funny, but I found humor in it. When you were asked about what you were going to do with the money if you won, I think you mentioned that you would be putting it in a four hundred and one k, and investing it. Do you recall saying that?
1: Uh, yes, yes, I do.
0: So, what did you end up doing with the money?
1: Um, I put about um, you know eighty percent of it, um, you know, in my financial portfolio. Um, I'm in some stock market stuff, and I'm also um, you know preparing for my future and my retirement. Uh, At a point in my career where you know I played you know five seasons, this would be my sixth, and you know, I've done okay for myself financially. So it wasn't like I had a dire need for something right away. And, um, the rest of it, um, you know, I just put in my bank account and then I did some nice things, um, you know, for, you know, my parents and, you know, some people in my family.
0: Do you manage your money yourself?
1: No, I have a financial advisor and, um, you know, he helps me you know, make good decisions. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you do what you want to do. You have your your last say with your money. But as far as just preparing my future, making sure I have something not only for myself, but, you know, for my future children or for my future family, you know, that's something that I'm cognizant of. And, you know, I want to have something to show for it when I'm done playing this game.
0: You mentioned something about your parents, and I was kind of curious because, you know, your parents led to two uh, professional basketball players. What were they doing that, that led to so much so much competition <laughs> among you two and, and among the world? <laughs>
1: Um uh we were just very blessed um you know when when you have two parents that care about you and you know my mom was very strict um when it came to you know schoolwork um you know doing things around the house, you know just discipline you know chores you know we we weren't able to cut any corners um you know my dad was you know always very hard worker, both of them um you know we learned that from them just you know how they worked every day, you know how they provided us with the things that they didn't necessarily have as children or that they didn't grow up with and you know they made sure that we were given every opportunity to succeed and you know to go after our goals and dreams which is something that you know maybe they didn't get the opportunity with because they were forced to grow up a little faster than they would have liked.
0: Can you talk about that a little bit like what is your dad is your dad still working you know what what do your parents do?
1: Um, My dad he um he worked 30 something years like i think 32 years at the Timken company um in a factory and uh, he worked at crane and he retired um after cj um graduated college he could have graduated or he could have retired before but um he held out just to make sure you know we we could have a little extra money too when we were in college because you know you're always hitting your parents up for money yeah so (laughs) he held on a little longer for us but um um, he he played basketball as well. He he still plays um to the day and leads and stuff. But you know he wasn't able to pursue his dreams because um unfortunately his father was um killed breaking up a fight when he was six. And so my father is um one of six children and he's the only boy. So like throughout high school and stuff, he had to work and you know help my grandmother and his sisters. And so as far as my mother, um she was a tax auditor um for the city. For fourteen years, and then she was an insurance agent um, for another ten years, and she's retired as well now. And um, she was also a basketball player, really good player. Um, she actually went to Akron University on a partial scholarship to play basketball, and um, her mom was, you know, paying for the other half of her school while she played basketball. And unfortunately, you know, her mother died; she passed away from an illness, and you know, my mom was. At the time, there was three kids and, you know, she was the middle child, but, you know, without the financial support of her mother and, you know, with you know financial situation, she had to stop her dream and to um, go back and work. And, you know, so they made sure that we weren't faced with that situation as far as, you know, having to be responsible or an adult too early, or we could focus on ourselves and, you know, do what we needed in life to achieve our dreams.
0: When you were growing up, did you hear those stories from your parents about, you know, the death of their parents and, you know, if they, if the parents were, did talk about that and you so how did that affect you as a child?
1: I mean, at any time you just know that, you know, life isn't guaranteed and, you know, you don't take things for granted. And I think it, it shaped them because as a parent, when you lose, you know, your parent early, you know, they're it's not something that they're not afraid to talk about, you know, they'll you know bring it up. Like, you know, I could not be here or anything like that. And, You know, they wanted us, I think that's why we were forced to, you know, be very mature earlier to, you know, have to deal with strictness because if they weren't there for us or if they couldn't help us there, we had to be able to make it on our own. And so that's why me and my brother are so close because, you know, we seen what they had to go through and we seen how they worked so hard for us to have opportunities and, you know, to have a good education or to have, you know, the proper grooming growing up that some people might not get, you know, we had structure our whole life. And that's something I can say is, you know, it was there for us. And we made sure that whenever we had an opportunity or whenever they did something for us, you know, we took full advantage.
0: So I think I read an article. I don't know if it was a quote from you or from your brother, CJ, that when you were growing up, even though I think you're four years older than CJ, every time you went to go play, he had to come with you. And that came from your mom that she said, if you're going to the park, you're taking your brother.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So like there's a three and a half year difference. And, um, you know, we grew up... um, in, uh, in a neighborhood with a lot of kids and it was it's a blessing because every day we had someone to play with we were playing baseball basketball football track like anything there was playgrounds near us, and you know we were to the point where we just always played like it didn't matter what sport we loved to play because if we were in the house um you know and my mom believed that you know kids need to be outside playing um you know, once you're done with your schoolwork and your chores, if you're in the house, she's just going to create more chores for you. So, we just <laughs> like, let's get out. <laughs> let's get out the house. <laughs> we don't want to do any more chores. Which is so.
0: it, you know, honestly, like there's just not a lot of parents like that anymore that say to their kids, get out of the house and go play. Most kids are just kind of vegging out, playing on the phone or video games or whatever, but it sounds it like you two were definitely out and, and doing We whatever. didn't really
1: play video games until nighttime because like during the day, um, you know, you didn't really want – you didn't want to be in the house too much because there, there was always something that needed to be done. <laughs> so um, we we definitely – there's always outside playing, and and I think it helped shape us. It obviously helped with our athletic ability and stuff, but, you know, it kept us active, and I think it's where we started the, the love for the sport. And, you know, when you're an older brother and, you know, most of the kids in our neighborhood were my age, and, you know, just physically, your younger brother, maybe he's not there. Um, athletically, he's not ready. It's just – you know a different level when you're playing with kids who are you know three four five six years older than you and the size difference is enormous you know when you're eight years old and you know other kids are 13 14 it's not really cool to have your brother with you because you you're scared if he's going to get hurt or he's just not good enough and you're so competitive you want to win and I used to not let him play and he would go tell on me <laughs> and then the choice was either we both play or no one plays and you know, that's kind of how it started. And he wasn't very good at first. Like, uh, he was playing against older kids, so he's getting a shot block, or maybe he's striking out in baseball, or, you know, maybe he's dropping the ball in football or fumbling. But um, as, you know, we continued to allow him to play, and, you know, at first we didn't let his outs count, or we would just give him, throw him a ball or two, let him shoot, and it doesn't count. But then eventually he started to develop and he started to get better, and he got to the point where, you know, he could help me win. So now it was okay for him to play. <laughs> how old was
0: he? Like, how old was your brother? when you realized that, you know, that was an asset for you when you went out to the playground, that he was a pretty athletic guy.
1: It, it probably took about a year, a year of having to deal with you know the struggles. But when he got to about nine, you know, maybe close to 10, you know, he could hold his own. And, you know, I'm not talking about 10 years. Obviously at his grade, he excelled because he was so used to playing with four or five year guys that were older than him. So when you go play with nine or 10 year olds, it's easy, you know, and he dominated. But when, I'd say about nine or 10 years old, he was able to hold his own. He wasn't the best, but, you know, he can make a play or two. And, you know, he he couldn't, he, would, he didn't hurt the team. And so that's when I was like, okay, and I see, I seen something in him. He was tough, you know, no matter how hard we play, like we played football and I didn't want him to play with me because at the age, you know, I was, I was young, I was immature and I just didn't think he should be playing. So I would hit him as hard as I could, like try to hurt him like just (laughs) tackle him as hard as I could so that he would cry and not want to play and he would never quit and that's when I knew I said okay this this kid is special he's got a little heart
0: there's got to be something in the blood that (laughs) makes you not quit there because one thing that was really interesting to me in researching you back when the tournament was running was that you had gone to a school that I don't think that most basketball fans have heard of and I'm I'm not even sure if I can pronounce it but is it Goshen or Goshen Goshen. Okay. So Goshen is an NAIA Division II school in Northern Indiana. A thousand students in this whole school. You were the all time leading scorer, 2,700 plus points, a four time Division II, NAIA Division II All American. How did you end up going to Goshen?
1: <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, I think, I think playing, um, in college, I had a really good career in high school and, it kind of hurt me just because, um, I played with Costa Kufis and that was like my great friend still to today. Um, you know, great guy, great athlete, but I think scouts underestimated, you know, maybe my value, my ability, because we had a seven footer who was top 10 in the nation downs all American and could dribble it, could shoot it inside, outside, could post. Um, he was a dominant force and, you know, we were fifth in the state. Uh, I believe I averaged, um, close to 19 points and, you know, six rebounds, four assists, or something in, in high school, and I was all state, all county, all district. You know, all the awards and stuff. But you know, I just didn't get any Division One offers. Um, I had a um, Division Two, I had NAIA, I had NAIA Division One, all that stuff. Um, you know, opportunity to go to school, you know, for free or for barely anything at all, which was a blessing. But I just didn't have the Division One, and that was my goal. And you know, it was tough. It was tough. That hurt me, especially when you see guys who. You know you feel like you're better than or maybe you outperformed statistically or your team was better than them and you know you see them get the the opportunity and you just can't understand why you didn't you know some said you know I was undersized um I think at the time I was six foot um uh, you know I went to college after one year I grew six two um some said I was my frame was too slight you know obviously when you go to college you add a little weight and you know, some said I was a tweener in between one and a two. And you know, I developed my point guard skills as well. So I, some of it, I was a late bloomer, but I was good enough to get a scholarship Division One, I, I believe. Um, I had a lot of schools that were calling and interested in me. And I actually had one school that was, you know, going to offer me. There was a kid um, who couldn't pass his ACT. He had committed um, early in his junior year. And he had took it three or four times. And I failed at Jackson State. And the coach, you know, was calling me. And I was having a very good senior year. And he told me that, you know, he wanted me and the scholarship was mine, but they have a guy who's already committed and they're going to honor his commitment. But they said he has one chance left to take his um, ACT. And if he doesn't pass, you know, the scholarship will be mine because he wouldn't qualify academically. And, you know, at the time, you know, you're a young kid, you know, I'm just, I'm praying that the kid doesn't pass. It's so wrong now that I think about it, but (laughs) I'm just like my mind, I'm just, you know, I was being selfish and, you know, I figured that. Now I look back on it, things happen for a reason. And unfortunately, you know, for me, you know, I landed up at Goshen. That was nice. But the kid ended up passing his his um, ACT and he goes to Jackson State. So then, you know, that was the only Division One offer I had. And then I had walk-ons from Akron and, you know, a couple other MAC schools. But you know, to the point where, you know, I come from a middle class family. They do okay for themselves. But I wasn't going to put, you know, a burden on them or myself to have to pay for school when, you know, I, I could go – somewhere else. So, that's why I chose to go there. And the reason I chose Goshen was um, the point guard graduated um, and there was an opening there. And when I went on a visit, it just felt comfortable for me. It felt like it was a place I could thrive. It was an um, excellent, excellent school academically. You know, I'm very strong in faith. Um, it was um, a top 10 academic Christian institution. And I just felt like it was a perfect fit for me.
0: Now, one of the things that was really interesting about what you just said, Eric, was that you remembered in really specific detail what led to you going to Goshen and this kid not passing his ACT and everything like that. Do you still look at things like that as motivation for, I don't know if prove is the right word cause you clearly have already proven everything you need to prove professionally, but just as motivation for becoming a better version of yourself time after time.
1: Yeah. It's like the way my life has been is just, you know, it's all about events and timing of it. Um, you know, maybe if I don't make that choice to go to Goshen and I decide to walk on a Division One school and, you know, they promised me a scholarship the second year, you know, maybe that scholarship comes, maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe I don't become the player I am. You know, at Goshen, I know I was given an opportunity from day one to have the ball in my hands. You know, I was probably the most highly regarded recruit they've ever had as far as somebody garnering Division One attention and, you know, having multiple uh, full rides from various Division Two schools and NA schools. But um, I just, I just realized that, you know, sometimes things don't happen right when you want it, or maybe you think, you know, it's bad or it's in end of the world, but, you know, there's a reason for things, you know, God works his way around it. And at the end of the day, it's your job just to stay prepared, you know, to stay humble and, and to keep your head. And, you know, I've done that throughout my whole career and, you know, I think good things have happened to me because of that.
0: One of the things that's interesting, I was reading about Goshen is that they have something called the study service term, the SST where mm-hmm. people go abroad and they essentially, I think it sounds like they go to maybe impoverished areas of the world and help out. Did you do that when you were there?
1: Yeah, um, we have an opportunity to, um, but it's tough for the basketball players because you have to miss an entire semester. And um, I didn't get the opportunity to. I could have did it in summer school, but um, um, it was, I, my, I'm very close with my family and, you know, the summertime, you know, I always make sure I spend it with them. So I always felt like I will get the experience overseas because my goal was to play overseas. And then there was other various things we had to do to um, implement that. So like the entire school basically goes to SST. And so you spend a whole semester um, in another country, you know, an impoverished area, you know, helping people um, and doing some of the core values that the school believes in. Um, And you're also, you know, still doing schoolwork and you're still studying. So if you don't do that, there's um alternative classes you have to take and other things you have to do around the community to help. So I did that, you know, so I wouldn't have to miss a semester playing basketball.
0: So you still kind of fulfill the service element of it. And I'm, I'm curious, was when you went to Israel in that first year, was that the first time you had been abroad?
1: Yes. First time I ever been um out the U.S.
0: How did that work out? So in 2010, you graduate and in the fall of 2010 for the 2010-11 season. You signed with a, I think it's a first division team in Israel, right?
1: Yes. I was, it was, it was a crazy, like, crazy experience. Um, Just being in another country, you know, your your nerves, you know, I had never left. You know, I'm on my own now. And, you know, I was, I was overjoyed, but also anxious and very, very nervous. Um, Surprisingly, I was the only non-Division One um, foreigner in the entire league. Um, So it was very high level league, you know, a lot of Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, and I'm coming from a small college, and I've seen these guys play on ESPN, you know, <laughs> I've seen, I know. Had you I played against them,
0: or just seen them? I'm really curious about that element of I
1: it. just, I had just seen them, so like, when I'm coming in, I had to change my mental edge, um, because, you know, I, I love basketball, I'm a fan of the game, so, you know, whether it's college, was NBA, you know, I'm watching it, and so when I come in, you know, I, and I meet guys and they introduce themselves. Like chances are, if you were a big time college player, I already knew who you were. You know, so I had right. to come in and I act like I don't know them either. It's like <laughs> I don't want, I don't want you to have no mental edge on me. So, is like, there anybody? Was, like, <laughs> is, was
0: there anybody in particular that you knew who they were, but you pretended who they weren't? That you didn't. Uh, know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time, my rookie year, there was like Jeremy Pargo, and I was at a restaurant with some friends and on my team, and they knew him, and so he introduced himself. He's like, he's like, what's up, I'm Jeremy. And I'm like, oh, okay, what's up, man? I'm Eric. Obviously, no one knew who I was, just coming from a small school and stuff like that. But I knew he played at Gonzaga, and I remember he was on some very strong teams. Um, you know, there there, were, there was a lot of other good players there as well. But it was just guys, like, I had to change my mindset as far as, you know, you know, we're all in the same place. You know, whether I came from NAIA, whether you come from Division One, whether you're, you know, coming from the NBA, you where I'm at now. So we on the same level, and
0: And, I mean, is that sort of how you take it? No matter where you go, that I'm on I'm on your level, and you're not going to ever give everybody an edge when it comes to uh, either recognition or anything like that.
1: It changed now. Um, When I first came in, you know how it was difficult for me coming from a smaller school. So like, I always had to prove something. I always had to prove I could you know, play at this level, you know, because guys had come from bigger schools or played in bigger conferences or bigger divisions. And, you know, they had a leg up on me as far as exposure, who their name was and everything. So not only did I have to combat that, but I had to show that I was better than you, not just, not just as good as you, because if there's two guys and, you know, they're pretty even, you know, I'm gonna take the guy from North Carolina before I take the guy from Goshen, to be honest, or the guy from Michigan State, you know. But if there's a significant difference, you know, that's how you separate yourself. And so I started to learn that, you know, as my career went on. And, you know, now I step on the court. Uh, you know, I'm off the court. I'm very humble. I'm a nice guy. When I step on the court, I feel like I'm better than you. And, and and I ain't got nothing to prove. My resume proves speaks for itself.
0: Do you still feel like you have to, do that every time you're playing against somebody that went to a bigger school or maybe somebody that has, you know, that year or two in the NBA. I mean, is that still something you're thinking about?
1: Um, It kind of rose, kind of reversed more. So now, Um, early in my career, I was eager. Like I I was like, I need to show um, why I'm as good as you are better. Why, why I'm here. And, you know, I I played with that chip as far as an underdog. Now, um, and I was trying to make my name like if I knew if I played well against a certain team or against a certain player, you know, it would solidify me as, you know, someone of a higher level. And now to the point of my career, you know, I'm already at the higher level. You know, I'm, I'm more so hunted. Now I'm more of a favorite. You know, people expect certain things from me. So I still carry a chip on my shoulder because I remember where I came from. And I remember how eager I was as a younger guy trying to prove myself. And I don't want no one to make a name off of me. You know, I don't want someone to play well against me or you know to get the best of me and and they come up off of me as far as you know attention or notoriety or any of that so like my chip as far as I'm gonna show you why you know I am who I am why I got here you know why they say these things about me and so that's how you just keep yourself motivated and you know I maybe I'm a favorite now or I'm a somebody who has a bigger name and you know I'm at the higher level in Europe and stuff but you know, I never forget, you know, I still have that, that heart of somebody who, you know, didn't get a Division one scholarship, someone who was overlooked, someone that, you know, they say wasn't big enough, and I carry that with me everywhere I go.
0: When did you know that you had that? You know, like, in other words, like, when did you know that you could walk onto any pickup basketball court in the world and score 400 points? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what, at what age did that kind of realization set in for you?
1: When I was younger, I was um, more so of a true point guard. And um my junior year, you know, I I think I, I averaged maybe 13 points and five assists a show, and i just very efficient. I just run the offense. And then my senior year, I started to, you know, get a little bit more aggressive. My body started to, you know, to mature. You know, purity took course. You know, I started getting bigger, stronger. But what really helped me is – um we had a key player get injured uh, my senior year uh, for uh, half the season. And, you know, I was forced to, to be more aggressive. And so I started to notice that I could score, that I could play at a high level, that, you know, that we were playing teams that were ranked, you know, in the country or ranked in the state. And, you know, I was able to perform at a high level. And I started to get a little bit more confident. And then I went to college and I had a lot of success. You know, from the early get-go, and I started to believe in myself. But you have to remember, like this is, you know, an AIA. You know, it's a different level. There's some very good players in AIA, but it's just a little different. You know, when you play at Division One, you know, guys are a little bit bigger. They're a little bit more athletic. Um, instead of there being, you know, maybe one or two guys on the court, like on the entire team that might be able to play at a Division One level. You now it's an entire team. You know. Like if you go to any AI game, if you're looking at the All Americans, maybe there's one guy on a team that could play at a Division One level. I don't know if he'd be a starter. I don't know if he'd be the best player, but there's probably one guy, at least if he's an All American. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I really started to believe in myself um, when I went to my first um, exposure camp after college. Like I always, you know, thought I was a good player, but you know, I was thinking as far as at my level, I'm probably one of the better guards are here. But when I went to an exposure camp um, after college, my agent flew me to Vegas during NBA Summer League. And um, there was like all these overseas scouts, all these teams. And
0: Can you talk about it before I want to hear about that specifically and what that yeah. experience was like. But kind of set the scene for us if we can, because I don't think a lot of people realize what these exposure camps are like and with this whole scene that happens in Vegas around that Summer League.
1: Well, as far as um the exposure, like – during them um, the summer um basically it's a who's who among um scouts you're going to have nba scouts you're going to have d league scouts you're going to have overseas and everybody comes during the nba summer league in vegas because you know guys want to see you know the potential college guys um the draft picks um the people who went undrafted and during this time those games are only in um the late afternoon and so what you see a lot of time is there's an exposure camp you know for for guys who you know also play at a high level, but maybe they didn't get invited to summer league. And so they'll have a, a games and stuff from in the morning, maybe nine to maybe two. And so that gives those scouts and those international teams a chance to go from two venues. So they'll be at one from maybe nine to one, nine to two. And then when that's over, maybe they go get lunch or dinner or something. And then they go to summer league, which starts at four o'clock.
0: And who all is showing up to these morning sessions, summer, uh, exposure camps
1: um well it was a, a boatload of people um, there was an agency that ran it and um there probably was maybe maybe over 100 hundred hundred people and they divided teams and so there was teams of 10 so there might have been 10 teams and there's it was a gym there was probably you know seven or eight full courts and so you know you have like a little mini practice um You know, they put in, you know, some simplified sets for you just so there's some structure while you're playing and then everybody gets equal time. So you play 10 minute quarters. um, They sub five for five and then they have coaches and stuff. And so you're going to guarantee 20 minutes um, in the game and you're guaranteed also might have been four or five games. And so at this event, you know, it's a lot of big time, you know, players as well. You know, maybe some guys who. You know, on a crest of, you know, just getting to summer league, a lot of division one guys, a lot of overseas guys.
0: Guys you recognized.
1: Yeah. And then also guys who, um, who might have experience overseas, but who are trying to get, you know, maybe some exposure, maybe trying to get back somewhere else. And so you'll see guys with experience who have played overseas. So it's not just 22 year olds or 23 year olds fresh out of college, you know, there could be older guys there as well. And so at this stage, Um, You know, I think my first game, uh, my agent, Andrew Morrison, you know, had me out there and, you know, he always told me that, you know, he seen my film and he, you know, seen my numbers, seen my stats. And he was just intrigued at, you know, just my ability to create my shot, my ability to score and my knowledge of the game. You know, he said that my athleticism and everything, he was just he couldn't believe I was at Goshen as far as, you know, the level of my talent and where I could possibly be. And so, but he had never seen me play live in the first game. Um, we played against a division one guy from a mid-major. It was all division one guys pretty much, but the guy guarding me was a division one guy. Maybe he went to Cal or something. I can't remember his name. And I played 20 minutes and I had 25 points on him. And uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's and
1: like, I, who is this? And yeah, I was just, it was a good day for me. I was yeah. feeling good. I got in my rhythm and my agent, um, He he pulled me to the side after the game. He was like, Okay, I knew you were good, but I didn't know you were this good. (laughs) And he was like and he called, he said, I just got on the phone with my partner. I called him. I said, this kid's the real deal. And (laughs) and then like after that I had a really good tournament and you know, every game, you know, I was scoring pretty well. I think I was one of the higher scorers of the of the area. That's always been my calling card. I've been able to score the basketball. And that basically just, you know, stamp that I could play, you know, I could put up these numbers, not just at you know, the NAI level, but if you put somebody on me, you know, who played division one level or mid-major or power conference, you know, I could also, you know, perform at a high level versus him.
0: So that was probably one of the key moments I would suspect for you. And when you did know that you had it, you know, that you did know that this was a really viable career offer for you.
1: Because I, I was always very confident and I always believed in the abilities God has given me. But when I when I did that in that tournament, you know, it opened my eyes. It, it allowed me to see that, you know, I, I felt I was a Division one player always. But this kind of more so solidified it that for sure I could have played at that level.
0: So you mentioned before that now you're in this phase where you're sort of the hunted rather than the person with the chip on the shoulder trying to prove something. And it's looking at your career, it's pretty clear... What happened? I mean, you went to Greece and suddenly, at um, I'm going to mispronounce it, Apollon Patras. Yes, uh, yes. It was the first stop in Greece, and you scored the basketball just routinely there. Then you go to Panionios and do the same thing, and then from there you jumped over to China, where you made headlines around the world for scoring 82 points in a game and leading the league and leading the world, in fact, and scoring. Um, at some point, you know, you've got to think to yourself. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But do you ever think to yourself, I should, I should be playing in the NBA?
1: Well, it's it just been the story of my life as far as, like, I try to look at the positive of things. You know, sometimes this is a that creeps in your head. Um, you know, when I was at a Division two school, and, you know, I was so happy. My brother got his Division one scholarship, and I was just, you know, overjoyed because I didn't want him to have to go through what I went through. And so to see him have that success, you know, as a freshman, and at this point, you know, my brother couldn't, couldn't beat me in a game of one-on-one until he was a junior in college. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a guy who was an All-American as a freshman, a guy who gave Kansas 26 um, his freshman year of college in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I'm the the older brother, you know, who's, who's putting up maybe 27, 26 a game um, in AI. And, like, so people didn't realize it, but it was funny because my coach called me into my office. And, you know, we would, my brother would come to open gyms all the time with us, um, and I would go to his open gyms. And so my brother he was like, "Oh, he's a division 1 player." Huh? And I was like, "Yeah, I was like, he's very talented." I said he's going he's going to be a very special player. He's going to go to the NBA. And so my coach is like, "Ah, it's going to be hard though from Lehigh, right?" And so like, you know, he just got an idea of it. And so it's kind of the same thing now. Like, you know, now when we play, you know, me and my brother, we have like the same games. Um the difference is, you know, I'm 6'2", he's 6'4". Um and he's probably 25 pounds heavier. You know, but he plays. You know, the two and the one in the NBA, but more so two, and he's transitioning into being both. Whereas I'm more of a one. Mm-hmm. You know, but I can play both. So, you know, I see him have the success, and I use that comparison because when I was in college, I seen him have that success in college, and I know our games are similar, and they translate. I know that I could have that success, and so for me, you know, I kind of like, you know, him doing well. You know, living vicariously through him. I knew like, okay that's something that I don't have to worry about. Like he did it and I know I could, so I'm okay. Like I'm okay. He's doing it for us for us both. And then the same thing with the NBA thing now, you know, he's at a level where, you know, he he's going to have a truly special year. I think people don't realize it. And, you know, I think, um, it's tougher now for me because I mean, he, he's like me, but on steroids, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not literally so when <laughs> we, when we, when we play, it's like, like we have good battles, you know, I'll win some, he'll win some, but you know, he gets, he gets the better of me now. Like if we, we always play a series. So if we play, we play best of seven series, you know, he might run four, three or four, two. And, um, you know, I, I ain't afraid to admit it. You know, he can beat me now, but um I know that I can still play it. I, I've played against guys in China who played in NBA, I played against guys overseas who played in NBA, yeah. you know, usually more times than none. Um I usually win my matchup in those games.
0: But, I mean, so is that something, though, that is both – it's good for you that you do have this sort of window into what the NBA is like and you've got the joy of watching your brother compete and obviously going to succeed, I think, this year in particular. But, I mean, is it is it difficult for you to kind of look at that from 4,000 miles away and say to yourself, I know I could do that? Because I read a quote from your brother and he said, you know, my brother is an NBA player and has been for a while.
1: Yeah, I think um, I developed my game mode out of college. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready physically. My game wasn't there. I think um, after Greece, after my second year in Greece, so I was probably 25, I was ready. And then I was ready um, after China, and I'm ready now. Um, a lot of it is just opportunity. Um, you know, timing is everything. You know, it's to the point where, um, I mean, I had a lot of interests. Um, I had some training camp advice this year, but I'm at the point in my career or financially, it's very difficult to me to turn down, you know, the contracts from, you know, these high level European clubs and to take a maybe or a what if an NBA or a partial guarantee. Or pay cut. And, yeah. And it, and it, you have to look at too, um, the taxes. Um, you know, the NBA players, you know, get close to 50% tax. Um, so if I signed a mid level contract, um, you know, I would definitely take a pay cut. It wouldn't even be close. It would be a, a very big pay cut. So, you know, it, life isn't always about the money and stuff either, you know, but, you know, while you're playing the sports you love, I'm doing what I love to do. You know, I want to you know, make as much money as possible and maximize it because you never know when this sport can end or, you know, if you're injured or what can happen to you. So, but it's just, and I, obviously I have a bigger role, you know, I play more. Um, you know, I'm one of the featured players, the balls in my hand, you know, if I go to the NBA, maybe I'm a third or second guard, it's a little different, you know. I probably wouldn't be a starter, but, you know, I think I could be a second or third point guard, and that would be a different role for me because I can't remember the last time I came off the bench. Um, <laughs> but, um... <laughs> well, it's certainly
0: not since... It's got to be early in high school, I would think, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, my sophomore year. That was the last time, sophomore year of high school. So, like, I mean, I feel like I could play in the NBA. You know, okay. I feel like, um, you know, there's there could be an opportunity for me. Maybe there's not, but... Um, I've got to the point where I've just learned to, you know, be content with what happens in my life and to go with the flow.
0: And you're, you know, a I pretty, know that. and you're in a pretty good spot right now. I mean, you're in a city of 12 million people playing for one of the top teams in Turkey, Galatasaray, a team that's been around for over a hundred years. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool to be sort of the man on a big squad like that over in,
1: in Europe. Yeah. If you would have told me, um, at the start of my career, I'd have been here, man. It would have been just a dream. Like, I started off, you know, um, coming from a small school. You have to prove yourself. You have to always prove everything you have to do. Sometimes you have to take, you know, lower salaries just to get where you wanted to get. And, you know, looking back on it at 22, I succeeded well beyond what I imagined, um, you know, as far as the level I'm at, as far as, you know, my name, um, the jobs that I'm able to get now considered, um, you know, financially, it's not even close to where I thought. You know, I would be. And if you would have told me I'd be here, I'd be happy and I'd be satisfied. But then when you get here, um, the competitor, you you know, it's, it's crazy. Like you can be happy with everything and, you know, you can be content, but you always want a little more or you always want to get a little better or you always want. And I think I think that's what makes me, you know, who I am. That's what makes me a special player. I mean, I told my agent, he always complains. He's like, oh, you would dream about being, you know, where you at now five years ago. You never thought you would be here. And I was just like, I didn't know if I would get the opportunity, but I believed in myself. Yeah. And he was like, I agree with that. And I said, I told him, just don't worry. I said, the moment I no longer want a little more, or I don't want to go to a little higher level. Or, you know, when I get content like that, I said, worry, because I means I'm about to retire.
0: <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Overseas Elite and the team and the, and the, experience that you had this summer. Um, I th- remember asking you a couple of times and I always was amazed that you guys had never played together before. I think you all might have known each other but not on a professional sense or having played on a team, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yep.
0: How is that that you all kind of clicked so quickly and, and everything seemed to come together as, as well as it obviously did?
1: Well, when you play overseas um, as a professional, a lot of times you might go over late in the year. Um, you might... You know, miss some of the preseason. Sometimes you switch teams. Like it doesn't happen all the time, but I know one time in my career, I've had to, I've or twice, I've come over late. So um, one time, you know, you're waiting for the right job or the right situation. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then you sign late, and you have to adjust on the fly. You have to adjust quickly. And I think, you know, multiple guys had dealt with that type of situation. Or you know, maybe you're a guy who, who um, was close to NBA, or you get traded on the D League team, or. You know, whatever the situation may be, I think we had guys who, you know, were professional and were used to that. You know, having to adjust, learn their offense really quick, learn your way around a new country, um, deal with the whole new culture, and then the X's and O's how to please the coach, how to know, you know, to adjust to certain players, their strengths and weaknesses. You know, it was easier for us because all we had to do was focus on basketball. Whereas when you're overseas, you know, there's a lot of things outside of basketball that, You know, you have to deal with and combat. And I think that was the biggest thing, just our experience with having to adapt to certain environments, you know, in a short period of time.
0: And you had to adapt really quickly because from as a story goes, Travis Bader showed up on the morning of the game minutes before the game actually tipped off. Right. And that was your fifth guy. Otherwise, you might have forfeited that first game.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were fortunate to have guys who know how to play basketball. Um, We really didn't have our first practice until the final four. And <laughs> I that's mean, I, it's not yeah, so.
0: Honestly, that's amazing to hear that uh, with how well you all played. How yeah, close were I you to forfeiting? I mean, was, did Bader literally show uh, up minutes before that tip?
1: We had to beg, we had to beg and plead for guys to come like, because um, we only had four guys and I almost didn't come because I'm like, I'm not going to come down all the way to Atlanta if there's only four people. That's a waste right. of my time. Right. And then, you know, my agent was just like, just come, we're going, I'm going to handle it and we're going to have six. And so we're begging and pleading for guys to come and it's tough, you know. You know, guys, you know, play nine or 10 months out the year and you only get two or or three months to enjoy your summer or maybe you have other commitments and obligations. And so we understood that. But, you know, if you say you're going to be somewhere, you should be there. And Travis stepped up big time for us. And and that changed everything. We really, you know, owe him the money because, you know, without him sacrificing, you know, going through a whole week or or 10 days of playing summer league and playing a game that morning and flying and coming to play with us. That just showed the kind of belief he had in the team that we could have
0: the team it was really impressive and i think when you look at at least on paper and then obviously when you watch the tape you can see how good it was it was you dj kennedy shane lawall i mean you guys were all playing on uh euro cup if not euro league teams all throughout europe have you stayed in touch with the guys since the tournament ended
1: um a few of the guys i was very very close to and i had already knew um i follow them all on ig so you know we'll talk on the internet laugh twitter stuff like that um I actually played Travis' team Wednesday um, in Euro Cup. So Travis Bader, we play his team Wednesday. So I'm gonna catch up with him. <laughs> I'm gonna text him. We'll probably go get some lunch. Um, I thought is, it, is, it in, is it
0: in Lithuania or is it in Turkey?
1: In Lithuania.
0: Oh, that'll be fun. Have you been there before?
1: Yes, yes. I played. Um, I played the same exact team when I was in Greece, um, also in Euro Cup um, two years ago.
0: That's great. That's supposed to be a really basketball mad country
1: yeah they have they have very nice facilities and they love the game they have very good coaching staff and stuff like that so it's gonna be interesting but I've talked talked to some of the guys and I mean obviously I think Paris Horn and Kyle Falk I'm probably the closest with um, because I've known them longer and you know I've just had a close relationship with those guys so I talk to those guys more than anybody else but you know I keep in touch with them Mike Cabongo um, I'm a reach out to Travis and then me and Jorandre Jefferson are actually both in Turkey. So we still talk to each other. And, um, when um, we play each other, the person who hosts the game is taking another person out to eat.
0: Now is Konya Spore where Jorandre Jefferson is playing? Is that in Istanbul too?
1: No, no, it's, um, it's away. So I think it's, uh, maybe a two hour flight.
0: What is that like living in Istanbul with the 12 million people and just being honestly one of the major largest cities in the world?
1: Istanbul is awesome. Um, it's probably, I, I've been to maybe 20 countries, um, give or take, and it's probably the second best place I've ever been. Um, the food is excellent. Um, they have very good Turkish food, but they also have tons of American restaurants to make you feel comfortable. You know, people speak fairly decent English. Um, the only thing that's terrible about it is the traffic. It is awful. It's <laughs> awful. Cuz there's so many people. The traffic is terrible, but I mean as far as living, as far as the culture, adjusting, um it's beautiful at night, the scenery, um the sea. I'd say Israel's the best place I've ever been. Tel Aviv, that city's awesome. And then Istanbul and then a close third is Athens.
0: So if you had to pick a place to settle down or maybe go to, actually not settle down, but go on a vacation to, would you pick Tel Aviv or, or
1: uh, Oh, Tel Aviv? Yeah. I love Tel Aviv. It's, uh, it's so like the Israeli food is, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, and then they also have a ton of American places and Western food to make you comfortable. And their English there is excellent. Um, the weather all year round, beautiful. You can wear shorts, um, the beaches, um, the scenery, um, just the familiarity like just being comfortable like it reminds me of a mini miami um like it's just if you ever get a chance tel aviv is a spot that you should go and then also jerusalem i've been to jerusalem it's very close to tel aviv maybe 35 minutes and you know i'm, I'm just the environment there is special um you know, whatever religion you are um they have you know um, temples for the jewish um christians muslim doesn't matter what you are like the history of certain religion everything is represented there um you're looking at you know maybe seven eight different things it could be anything and when you go there you just feel that vibe it's it's just a special feeling there
0: well you might want a vacation there but i assume you're not going to be doing that next summer you'll be back huh in <laughs> yeah
1: i'll be back i'll be back hopefully we can get um the squad together and you know i'd like to reunite with the same guys just to keep the chemistry and you know i think when you're battle tested and you know you guys are familiar with each other it's an advantage and i'd like to keep that advantage you know obviously we might have to make an adjustment you know maybe one or two as far as you know other people's commitments but you know i'm hopeful that everybody can return but we'll see
0: Eric, I really appreciated uh, talking to you today. Really was great. I'm hoping to touch base maybe again a little bit closer to the tournament. Have a great season over there in Turkey. We'll be watching from afar.
1: All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and you know, I wish you guys the best. And can't wait to see you guys next summer.
0: Thank you, Eric.